that the question, what kind of cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. What kind of humanity we wish to create amongst ourselves and how we want to create it. And it is that mutual constitution of the city and who we are and what we are that is something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon. This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. Welcome to the program here on CITR 101.9 FM, syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, and available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst, and Happy New Year. In 2005, the city of Abbotsford enacted a bylaw to prevent harm reduction services, and in the summer of 2013, Abbotsford dumped manure on the site of a homeless encampment. Homeless and harm reduction advocates are challenging the city's policies and treatment of marginalized people with with legal challenges now in the courts. On the program, we'll look at these ongoing issues in the city of Abbotsford, as well as an alternative housing model for the homeless that's being used in Portland, Oregon. Stay with us. This is The City. And a happy, uh, happy New Year to you. Uh, happy 2014. I'm Andy Longhurst. Uh, this is The City, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions. And uh, it's great being back. I uh, hope you uh, had a restful, uh, restful uh, holiday um, and uh, an eventful uh, New Year's Eve. So on the program today, we're going to look at uh, the ongoing issues of homelessness and harm reduction in Abbotsford. And uh, this is a story that um, there's lots going on in 2013 and unfortunately uh, never had a chance to really dig into it um, and explore some of the issues around um, around homelessness and harm reduction in the city of Abbotsford. Obviously, these these issues extend uh, extend beyond Abbotsford and, and are playing out in different places across um, the lower mainland and beyond, um, but are particularly acute right now um, in the city of Abbotsford. And uh, as I mentioned in the intro, to, in 2005, they enacted a bylaw to prevent harm reduction services. Um, and we'll hear more on this uh, in a moment. Um, but then most recently, and an issue that you, know, you may have heard about, uh, it would have been hard to miss uh, this past year. In, 2000, in the summer of uh, this past year, uh, the city orchestrated a dump of manure um, on a place where um, Abbotsford's uh, homeless were, um, were, were living. So we're going to explore these issues um, on the program, uh, talking to and hearing from a number of people. Um, but in, in May of 2013, um, Pivot, Legal Soci- Pivot Legal Society filed a lawsuit in B.C. Supreme Court and uh, a human rights complaint against the city of Abbotsford, challenging their anti-harm reduction zoning bylaw. And um, in uh, fall of 2013, six Abbotsford homeless people and Pivot um, as I mentioned, filed this this human rights complaint um, over the uh, the dumping of chicken uh, manure and the, the chicken manure incident. 
these legal challenges um, are still in the courts. Um, and I spoke to DJ, D- DJ Larkin, and um, DJ Larkin is a lawyer with Pivot Legal Society. And this is a conversation um, from January 6th, 2013, or 2014, January 6th of this year, um, discussing these, these issues um, and, and the situation in Abbotsford. This is The City on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, coming from Burnaby Mountain, and uh, as a podcast at thecityfm.org. First of all, can you provide an overview of, of what's going on in Abbotsford, um, maybe starting with the 2005 uh, anti-harm reduction bylaw? Sure. So... In 2005, um, Abbotsford put in place a bylaw that prohibits access to harm reduction uh, healthcare supplies. So that includes access to safe injection equipment as well as methadone um, and other harm reduction supplies that relate to, um, you know, anyone who uses illicit substances. Since that time, uh, individuals in the community have been advocating to change the bylaw to have it struck down because it really has a very serious impact on the ability to access health care and really puts them at risk of contracting um, very dangerous and communicable diseases, including hepatitis C and HIV. So since the, that bylaw came into play, the city um, has said that they were, they've thought of reviewing it on several occasions, but the bylaw has not been reviewed or amended at this point. So uh, an an organization called the BC Yukon Association of Drug War Survivors uh, approached Pivot to represent them in a claim against the city, stating that that bylaw um, infringes their charter right to safety and security of the person because it increases their risk of contracting um, disabling and potentially fatal diseases. So that litigation is ongoing uh, and um, was filed last year in 2013. Since that time, the association has also participated in um, committees with the city to work on uh, issues that are faced by people who use drugs and who are marginalized within the Abbotsford community, and that's included uh, a shelter working group where the association brought a report called Gaps and Barriers, which really outlined um, gaps in services for people who are marginalized by disability and drug use, including a lack of low barrier services in shelter. And by low barrier, I mean um, shelter services that will allow people to stay there who are active in their addiction or who act out due to mental health issues or who may need to leave the shelter in the middle of the night to use drugs or to work to gain income, things like that. And uh, and there's also certain barriers in accessing the services which do exist, including um, the inability of people to carry harm reduction supplies if they want to access services and shelter, and uh, as well as um, length of stay restrictions in shelters and behavioral expectations and recovery expectations that people are unable to meet. So through that process, um, the Association of Drug War Survivors brought so many of these concerns to the city's attention, um, and unfortunately, things haven't really changed. So if we fast forward to 2013, um, despite the fact that people have been bringing concerns to the city for years about 
lack of harm reduction supplies, as well as treatment by city bylaw enforcement and police around how people who use drugs are treated uh, and people who are homeless and reliant on public space to survive, how they are treated and how the property is treated. None of that had really changed. And in the spring of 2013, the media discovered that uh, police had engaged in activity whereby they slashed tents and belongings and bike tires of individuals who are homeless and living in public spaces. They also bear sprayed the belongings and the tents of a couple of individuals, completely destroying their property. So once the media got a hold of that, the uh, the police department actually replaced all their belongings. Um, and those individuals are moving forward with, you know, trying to deal with the implications of, of that happening to them. And then in June 2013, uh, in order to move a group of four individuals out of an area where they'd been living across from the Salvation Army emergency shelter, the city decided to dump chicken, chicken manure um, on their camp while they were there. Um, it was hugely traumatizing. It destroyed many, many belongings, um, some heirlooms and spiritual items as well as personal items. And the net result was that people moved about 25 meters down the road. Um, people have expressed that they've lived on that chunk of what's called Gladys Avenue for years, and they periodically just get moved up and down the street. There's really no services provided to them. They just get evicted for lack of a better term, from one little chunk of land and then move down the street to another little chunk of land. Um, the individuals who live across from the Salvation Army Shelter are very marginalized by uh, disability and mental health issues and addiction. Um, they're quite vulnerable and they live across from the Salvation Army so that they can access things like food and a place to dry their clothing. And that was uh, DJ Larkin of Pivot Legal Society. We're now going to hear from Abbotsford Mayor Bruce Banman from a July 25th, 2013 interview with CBC's uh, Stephen Quinn. And this is uh, Abbotsford Mayor Bruce Banman's response to the chicken manure incident. Earlier this week, we learned that multiple departments within the city of Abbotsford were in on the planning of a chicken manure dump at a homeless encampment. The months-long email thread between five different departments brainstormed different ways to get rid of the homeless population that often camped alongside Gladys Road. After the manure dump, Abbotsford Mayor Bruce Banman said he knew nothing about it and visited the scene to apologize for the incident. Mayor Banman joins us on the line now with more on the story. Good afternoon to you, Mayor Banman. Well, and good afternoon to you, Stephen. Now, according to these emails uh, that CBC obtained, Abbotsford City Department managers from uh, bylaw, from forestry, from parks, from roads, and from waste uh, were brainstorming for months about how to get rid of this homeless population. Their final decision uh, was, as we know, to have chicken manure dumped on the site to chase the homeless population away. Um, How much did you know about this plan before it was executed? Uh, I didn't know anything until after it was actually done. Uh, neither did our city manager, to be uh, to be perfectly frank. Is that normal for that level of communication to be going on through five city departments and for the mayor and the city manager to have no idea about it? Um, you know, I can tell you that in certain departments, there's many decisions that get made that uh, 
that we aren't necessarily made abridged, uh, advised of. Um, in this particular case, uh, we have a new city manager that was going, to, was and is going through a core review. Um, and I would just say that uh, you know it, 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 this one managed to uh, avoid us in, in this particular case. Hey, how could five department managers have known about this plan and, and not one of them stop to think that maybe this would not be such a great idea? Oh, you know, we have asked that question um, amongst ourselves a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I can only tell you that in this particular case, um, you, you know, I, I've tried to put myself in that position of, of staff and have difficulty. I, I know that I, I, it's not an idea that I think I could ever in my wildest dreams have come up with. But good people, when they focus on a problem, um, sometimes just get it terribly wrong. Um, and this is a classic example of that. Um, I, I am still, um, you know, I, I, I just feel horrible about it. Uh, and uh, we, you know, like I did, I, I, I apologize to those that were involved personally. And uh, the best that uh, we can do is to learn from this um, and treat people with, uh, with dignity and respect um and 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 try to do much much better and and the sad thing is is it unravels uh, a bunch of the good work that we have done um you know if if you've taken a look at the homeless study that was done in 2008 um we have reduced the amount of homeless in Abbotsford by 50% uh to to the last uh to the last study that was done from one study to the next and that sure. study was completed in 2011 does that mean we, you found we, housing for these people or that you've run them out of town no, no, the, we have provided housing. Uh, there have been uh, a number of housing projects that were done. Uh, there was uh, the Christine Lamb, which is for, uh, for women that are at risk. Uh, there was the Henry Schmidt Center that was done. Uh, there, and we are, we are now looking at the third one, which was in the works, if you take a look, the third housing project, uh, which, is in the, uh, which is now proposed at the downtown, uh, in the downtown Abbotsford site, which may or may not be an appropriate site for that. And if it's not, it means that it's not that we're saying no, it's just we're, that what would happen is, is that we would say, look, this is not the best location for this. We need to find something better. I, I want, um, so there's tons that we are doing, and it, and it really, it, you know, staff now are, you know, what can I, I, all I can say is sometimes good people make incredibly poor decisions. We've all been there and all wish we had uh, a redo or a mulligan to redo. And uh, it's what happens when you focus on a problem without bothering to stop for a minute and, and, and you're so focused on the, on a particular problem that you don't stop to think what the ramifications are. Does it not worry you that five of your department managers all came to the same conclusion? None of them thought there would be a problem with this. I mean, does that not make you question their judgment? That's, and that's, this is one of those moments where you... Say, look, this is this is clearly not good enough. Um, this is, you know, it's 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 an indefensible act, which is why um, I apologize for it. And we need to move better, move better, and move on. But one particular decision does not define an entire person's career. Yesterday on this program, we spoke with Jesse Wegenast, who uh, you are no doubt familiar with, an Abbotsford pastor who works with homeless people uh, in your city. I just want you to hear a, a little bit of what he had to say. 
anyone who has been homeless in Abbotsford in the past 10 years or anyone who has worked closely with, with this demographic was not surprised by the chicken manure dump. It was almost the best worst thing that could have happened. We've gotten so very used to hearing about camp destruction and, uh, and people being oppressed and, and just treated like garbage that when we heard about the chicken manure, it was incredibly angering, but, but not a real shock. Mayor, if a pastor who works with homeless people is not shocked by the city dumping chicken manure on a homeless encampment, what does that say about homeless? How homeless people are treated in your city? Well, it says it says it says again that we need to do much better. However, um, I think that it would be important that you interview the other side of the story on this. And the other side of the story, and unfortunately, many of the, many of the residents that live in that area are scared to speak up. Um, and recently, you know, the Downtown Business Association opposed a no-barrier or low-barrier mm-hmm. uh, housing project because they had, uh, they had, after years, had managed to develop a thriving downtown, and they, they think that, as is their right, they don't, they, they don't agree with this. And uh, someone wrote on there, shut up or else, across their doors and across their things. So, it, you know, bad behavior or poor choices happen on, on both, sides of this, uh, both sides of this gate. The neighbors, um, I had a grandmother in my office break down and cry, because she had to explain to her 12-year-old granddaughter what oral sex was, because it was happening under that very tree. So there, there was, there was, there, there are two sides. There is garbage, garbage contained. You know, I, I, I understand and I empathize with homeless. This is a problem that goes across the nation, but society also has standards and rules that we live by. Because you're homeless doesn't mean you get a free ticket to live and do whatever you want throughout a city. We need to find a better solution than this. And, you know, this is a result, I think what happens is we focus so much on the problem that we don't take a look at how this happened in the first place. You know, this is, by many uh, have said, this is a result when you close down mental institutions and you toss people out onto the street and expect them to self-medicate, they find all, all kinds of ways to self-medicate. They were not capable of looking after themselves. And there was a cry back in the day where we said, look, this is just not humane to keep people in a mental institution like this. They should be allowed to wander freely. And so those, those institutions were closed down. Um, this is a problem that all levels of government need to get together. You know, nobody during their childhood says, uh, their dream is, I want to grow up to be homeless. Nobody. Um, many of them are mentally ill. Many of them are addicts or alcoholics or have addictions of one kind or another. And some choose to be like that. Mayor- some deny help when, when offered. And, and what we need to do is, is find creative solutions to help us. It's an, it's an undaunting task throughout every city throughout Canada. The federal government, for instance, has 61 cities that they deem to have a homeless problem. I'd like to know what you got to do to get on that list. Mayor Banman, we appreciate your time very much this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you very much. You take care. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. That's Bruce Banman. He is the mayor of Abbotsford. So what do you think about the homelessness situation in Abbotsford, how they're handling it there? Email us on the coast. At- and that was a clip from uh, CBC Radio. That was Stephen Quinn um, interviewing Abbotsford Mayor Bruce Banman on July 25th um, and getting his explanation um, surrounding um, the chicken manure uh, dumping on a homeless encampment. We're going to return now to um, Pivot Legal Society's uh, lawyer, DJ Larkin, um, and continue that conversation uh, with her.
so since they since the chicken manure incident, they moved down the street a little bit, and now two of them have moved back to the place where the chicken manure was poured on them, and they continue to live there. So that brings us to the summer of 2013, when again several individuals and the drug war survivors came to Pivot Legal and said, we'd like to do something about this. And uh, so we moved forward with a human rights complaint and a couple of small claims suits for individuals who had had their property destroyed. Um, and the human rights complaint deals with the treatment of people who are living on the streets in Abbotsford, including abusive language, demeaning treatment by police and bylaw staff, and enforcement of the city's bylaws, which basically make it impossible for a homeless person to exist in the city. The most recent homeless count in, conducted in Abbotsford specifically highlighted police practices and bylaws, which the, um, the researchers believed were designed to displace homeless people out of Abbotsford um, to make it impossible for them to live there. And we believe that that is discrimination against those individuals because it, the, the bylaws as they exist today not only uh, prohibit harm reduction supplies, but also make it uh, against the law to sleep in any park or any public space in the city, to put up a tent in any park or any public space in the entire city. And the result is anyone who doesn't have access to an inside place to sleep is moved along and um, pushed out of the community, which has... All of that has devastating effects on the, the mental health and the physical health uh, of individuals living on the street in Abbotsford. The risk that they face to um, increased disability and contracting and exacerbating diseases because they don't have access to harm reduction and because they don't have access to, um, you know, to be able to put up a safe shelter to shelter themselves in the elements really does put them at risk of being further marginalized by the laws as they currently exist. And that brings us to October 2013, when a group of individuals who are homeless, who do rely on public space to live, um, all moved from various public spaces around the city to one space, Jubilee Park. So essentially, nothing changed in terms of their um, the fact that they were violating the bylaw by living outside, they simply became visible because they were all living in one place. Uh, and they occupied a, about an eighth of the park in one small corner. And uh, a member of the community provided them with uh, portable washrooms and they set up camp. The reason they did it was to draw attention to the fact that these individuals really have nowhere to go. They don't have services. Uh, they don't have access to indoor space. And the way they've been treated and pushed down by the laws as they exist and the way that police and bylaw enforcement have treated them has just pushed them so far to the margins of society in Abbotsford that they really had to speak out um, and insist that the bylaws be changed and insist that they be treated better. That led the city to file for an injunction, which they won on December 20th. And so the police cleared the park on December 21st uh, right before Christmas, and moved everybody along. Some people, I understand, found shelter, at least temporarily. Some just, again, moved to another outdoor space because they didn't have a choice. Those individuals, uh, if they were unable to take all of their belongings with them 
right away don't have access to their belongings because they don't have an address to give to the city to have their belongings dropped off. So essentially they've lost tents and personal belongings and clothing, all sorts of things, uh, including donations from the public that they were relying on to stay warm and safe over the winter. Um, because the city filed for that injunction, there's now litigation in the D.C. Supreme Court where we say, um, on behalf of our clients, that the laws, those bylaws, um, violate basic charter rights, including the right to protect yourself from the elements and erect a structure. And the precedent for that is the Victorian Adams case, where the D.C. Court of Appeal found that where there's not adequate available shelter space, individuals have the right to erect a tent to protect themselves from the elements. Hmm. So I think that gives an overview very briefly from then until now. Mm -hmm. Can you talk specifically for those um, that that don't necessarily know um, the significance of this injunction? Um, does this set a precedent? And, and as you mentioned, like, what is the significance of this? The injunction is something that um, cities enforce bylaws through injunctions all the time. Um, in fact, the, to my knowledge, a city has never lost an application to a court to get an injunction to enforce their bylaws. Um, it's how the Occupy Vancouver movement was ended. It's how Occupy Toronto was ended. Anytime someone breaches a bylaw for long enough, the city will usually go and get a court order, an injunction to enforce their bylaw. So the fact that they were granted this injunction is not entirely surprising, um, but we we did raise several very important issues, and the court was very, very clear. And what's important about this decision is that the court was very clear that there are very serious issues with the bylaws that need to be addressed at trial because um, the individuals involved are highly marginalized and vulnerable. Um, there's some real questions about whether or not the bylaws are, in fact, unconstitutional. The judge was very clear that the injunction was granted because the city said they have enough space for everybody and they can house everybody. Is that what true? Seen yeah. is, is that true? Well, what we've seen since is that some people went to the shelter, some people don't have access to that shelter. The law says there has to be available shelter space. But even if there is a mat on a floor on any given night, if someone has serious mental illness which affects their behavior, which includes many members of this group, they can't, that spot is not available to them because they'll get kicked out or they'll get turned away at the door. That spot is also not available to someone who's intoxicated or who needs to leave in the middle of the night to, frankly, to do drugs because otherwise they'll go into withdrawal. It's not accessible to anyone who can't be there by 6 p.m. and maybe needs to work to earn money past 6 p.m. in the evening because their curfew is 6 p.m. except in extreme weather protocol. It's also not accessible to anyone with a pet. And um, I know it sounds strange, uh, for someone to say they won't give up their pet, but there's significant research about the incredible life-saving value of pets to some homeless individuals and for those individuals who really rely on that connection on a day-to-day -day basis to be their family and their go-to and 
the animal that they rely on and love, um, they can't give that animal up just for one night in the shelter. Mm -hmm. So to all of those individuals, even if there is a bed space available, which isn't necessarily the case, they're not available to many, many of the individuals, which is why they're still living inside. I think a lot of people were shocked about the uh, the chicken manure incident, but I'm just wondering, um, from your perspective, are have you been surprised at the um, the the ongoing um, sort of reactive um, responses from the city of Abbotsford, or um, or with that in mind, is it something that um, you're not surprised by in the way that they continue to handle these issues? Uh, as an individual, um, I would say that I continue to be a bit shocked. Um, information that we've received through Freedom of Information indicates that the city spent months planning how to do something to move the people from in front of the Salvation Army shelter, including maybe they should pull down the trees, maybe pouring cement over the area. Um, they, they thought up a few different ideas, none of which were actually, let's provide them services, let's provide them support, let's accept them where they're at. Um, and that, to me, was shocking. Mm. Um, I continue to be shocked that the city doesn't seem to understand the barriers that are faced by people, even though they've been there for years and people have been telling the city for years that the, this is, these are the troubles they're having and this is the help that they need. Um, and I was shocked after the injunction was granted on December 20th to hear, and this is, um, I'll be clear that this is something I, I heard, so this is not my first-hand knowledge, that as soon as the park was cleared, a fence was put up, and many of the belongings of people, who, you know, they, they couldn't carry it all at one time, were um, confined within the fenced area that the city put up, and neither the city or police would let people get back in to get their belongings. So effectively, tents and everything were destroyed, um, either because they were just left in the park and no one can access them, or because they were taken by the city and basically stored away wet and um, molding. And I was really shocked that after all of this and after all of this discussion, that the city didn't take a more um, progressive approach to that. So what are some of, obviously, the um, the legal challenge um, is, when are we to hear um, back from um, the courts on that? Uh, the judge in granting the injunction was clear that he wanted to see this go to trial in an expedited manner. Um, now, the fact that you know, all of that happened on December 20th means there's been a bit of a lag, a couple of weeks since then and now over the um, holiday season. It's our intention to contact the Chief Justice and Supreme Court to indicate the desire to move this, head on, move this ahead on an expedited basis and hopefully to have these bylaws uh, go to trial is I, pardon me, um, ideally this spring. Mm, okay. And is that in the spring, will we hear back on um, the legal challenge? Is this all part of the same challenge of suing the city around the, the harm reduction bylaw, anti-harm reduction bylaw? Unfortunately, it's not. So there are actually two sort of concurrent yeah. actions because they deal with different things right now. Right. So that action is moving along uh, as well, but I can't predict exactly what the timeline will be on that. Um, 
So they'll they'll move along, but we won't hear back at the same time on both of them. Okay. And in the meantime, what are um, what's what's Pivot's role moving forward? Um, obviously, Jubilee Park in Abbotsford is not um, a location um, for um, a homeless camper or people um, to reside. Um, what's Pivot's role moving forward in in supporting um, those that continue to be homeless in Abbotsford? Right. Well, I mean, as a legal entity, um, our, our primary role is to um, help people tell their stories and marshal evidence to get the laws changed so that they are safer, so that they do have somewhere to be. I understand that uh, individuals out in Abbotsford through um, various community groups, including the drug war survivors, are actively saying okay, the laws need to change, but you also need to give us these services. You need to give us a place, a piece of land to go to. We need, you know, here's our plan. They're coming, to, they're coming forward with some really creative solutions, and we totally support them in that. Um, but our role as a law office is to get those stories heard, um, to get judges and tribunal members to really hear and start understanding the lives uh, of individuals out in Abbotsford who are faced with criminalization of homelessness and criminalization of drug users and to get them to change those laws. One of those alternative proposals is is based on a model in Portland, Oregon called Dignity Village. And uh, I'm just wondering if you see this, maybe if you can briefly speak to the model, um, but also whether you see this as um, a possibility in, in Abbotsford and, and maybe more widely um, in the BC context. Sure. So the um, the Portland Dignity Village model is interesting because basically it's a an area of land set aside for people who are homeless where they can go and they're allowed to be there and they can set up structures um, on an ongoing basis and not be displaced. Um, the Portland model is not ideal. Um, it's it does have problems just like anything does. It has governance problems. It has um, sanitation problems. There there are issues with it. What I can say is that at least some of the solutions being brought forward in Abbotsford are um, an improvement on that Portland model in the sense that um, professionals have come forward and said, here's a design for a safer structure that would be semi-permanent um, so that there would be some safer structures that were properly ventilated, um, that people have come forward and said, you know, here's a governance model that we would like to use that accepts people where they're at, but also manages the camp in a safe way. And I think we really saw the potential success of that in how well the Jubilee camp or the Jubilee park camp was managed for the time that it was there, which was just, uh, which was two months. Exactly. Um, so hopefully for Abbotsford, that may be a part of the solution. Uh, and hopefully if that does become a part of the solution, it's, um, executed in a way that is an improvement on the existing Portland model. My concern um, and the legal concern is that that cannot be um, done instead of recognizing an individual's rights to be treated with dignity when they rely on public space. We can't simply say that every single homeless person must go to this Dignity Village-style camp or else you can be harassed or discriminated against or have your property thrown out if you're in any other public space because that's a real problem. Mm. On any given night, for some reason, someone is going to live outside. That's just the truth. That's just the truth. 
I mean, if homelessness was simple, we would have solved it. There's always going to be someone outside and for one reason or another, and that person isn't even necessarily always going to be able to go to, say, a Dignity Village that night. So while that is part of the solution, the real solution is to establish that people have rights when they're homeless, and we have to respect those regardless of where they are, and we have to manage those rights and balance them against the rest of societies. I want to conclude by asking you um, to talk about the situation more broadly um, beyond um, places like Vancouver um, with um, homelessness and harm reduction. Um, obviously, Abbotsford um, is farther down the valley, um, but are some of these issues um, similar in other suburbs across the Lower Mainland? Absolutely. Uh, we actually put together sort of a, a collection of bylaws around the entire province of British Columbia, which criminalize either um, access to harm reduction supplies or municipalities and areas which have bylaws that criminalize homelessness, meaning you can't sleep in a park, you can't set up a tent, you can't use public space. And so these types of issues um, are things that we see in other communities, definitely. So why is Abbotsford in the news? Uh, Two reasons. Number one, the way that they have dealt with people over the last year, two years, three years, has been um, exceptional. And as the judge called it on December 20th, using chicken manure and tent slashing and bear spray, um, reprehensible. And because there is uh, a group of individuals who are affected by these laws in Abbotsford who have really taken the risk to step up and speak out for their rights. So what they are hoping is that by coming forward, other communities will see the harm that's being done and will change their laws as well. Great. And where can people learn more about the Abbotsford Legal Challenge and some of these issues? Uh, Actually, I would say part of it is you can follow us. Sorry. Um, To learn more, you can follow us at pivotlegal.org and you can also check out um, Abbotsford Today, which is an online media source and which has been following um, the issues faced by people in Abbotsford as well as the legal challenges in some depth. And uh, you should be able to get some good information there. Great. Well, DJ, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. No problem. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you, too. Bye.
And welcome back to the program. This is The City on CITR 101.9 FM. And uh, before the music break, um, you heard from DJ Larkin. And uh, DJ Larkin is a lawyer with Pivot Legal Society. And uh, we're going to now hear about um, the alternative model um, we spoke about. And that was Dignity Village in Portland, Oregon. And in August 2013, I spoke with Lisa Larson, CEO of Dignity Village, which is a two-acre city-owned site on the outskirts of Portland, Oregon, where 60 formerly homeless people live together in a variety of different structures. The village is collectively governed and organized, and residents pay uh, $25 per month in rent. Uh, And this covers utilities, and uh, Dignity Village is intended to serve as a transitional um, housing or transitional housing for um, homeless people. So this is a, certainly an interesting model, and uh, you can also um, learn a bit more about it um, on the web um, by searching Dignity Village. Um, but again, uh, something that uh, we spoke about, uh, I spoke, uh, spoke about with DJ Larkin as a potential model. Um, obviously, um, nothing is perfect, and, and uh, that should be recognized. But this is Lisa Larson speaking about her own experience and uh, the the Dignity Village model, obviously, and we should keep this in mind, in a very different um, uh, state context, obviously in the United States, in Oregon, um, and and homelessness um, is in many ways uh, more extreme in the United States, um, but obviously some of the similar issues are faced. So um, without any further ado, this is Lisa Larson, CEO of Dignity Village, and this is uh, going back to an August 2013 uh, interview with her. Tell me a bit about the history of Dignity Village. The village started with what they called a coming out of the doorway movement, and I believe it was uh, 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, they started under, and well, they banded together, um, held what they called shopping cart parades, moving from one bridge under another, under another, and they hit just about every bridge in Portland. And that was about a year of their time, and so then the city finally decided to give them a piece of land, and that's still where we're at today. Um, So then when they moved out here, I believe that was 2001, they um, started off with what they called train wrecks, which were tent and tarp-like structures on pallets. And over the course of the years since we've been here, we now have 43 structures that we live in, plus numerous others, and they're what I call glorified woodsheds. Um, some of them look like little houses. Other ones are just four walls and a roof, and basically that's what you get, but at mm-hmm. least you're out from the weather and out from being on the streets. Can you talk about the, the I guess, the lack of, of existing affordable housing and the need for something like Dignity Village? Um, why, in your perspective, why does, why does Dignity Village exist? Well, the affordable housing is almost non-existent for many purposes. Um, the fact that, you know, people are getting laid off. So many people live on credit, and so if one paycheck, you know, doesn't come through, they lose things. You know, a medical emergency happens. Any minor little thing could throw so many people into the homeless population. Um to me, the reason why Dignity Village succeeds um, is because it is affordable. 
um, and we've actually made this into a community. Um, eventually, I think many of us would like to make this more of an intentional community instead of a temporary campground. Mm-hmm. Um, too many people are out there not in the house, uh, living on the cars, in their cars, living on the streets, couch surfing. Um, there just needs to be a whole lot more places for people to live safely and not have to worry about being out on the streets. Mm-hmm. I know I never planned on living on the streets, and I spent two years out there. Mm-hmm. What What brought you to Dignity Village, and can you talk about your own story of, of homelessness? Well, um, to start with, I've always been at least middle class in, you know, the society. Parents never made a whole lot of money, but we always survived. Got married, same thing. The two houses, two, or I'm sorry, two cars, two kids, two dogs, two cats, two jobs, mortgage, all of that. We were surviving. My marriage started falling apart and my husband started getting, getting abusive with me. So I moved in with who I thought my best friend was. Um, come to find out this man was way more abusive than my husband ever thought of being, um, to the point that he tried killing me four different times, never succeeded, thank goodness, including taking a double-barreled shotgun to my head and pulling the trigger. But there was only one cartridge in it. So anyway, um, I went into hiding, and in the process of going into hiding, I'd met the love of my life at this point. He was just a wonderful, wonderful man. But I went into hiding by going homeless. Every other time I moved out on this man, he would track me down, he would find me, he would drag me back, and then the abuse would start again. So when I put myself homeless five and a half years ago, Christmas Eve, um, my now husband, about two weeks later, put himself homeless. Um, so I wouldn't be on the streets by myself. We lived in abandoned houses. Uh, There were several of them in our area, and we just kind of moved from one place to another because we'd get ran out by cops. Um, We were arrested twice for being homeless. And um, then we did some camping in a little town out of Portland, and we did that for about another year. And when my husband was doing his jail time, um, for, uh, anyway, doing his jail time, somebody mentioned Dignity Village to him. We got out of jail, we put in a phone call, and it took us about two months to get into here. Hmm. And that was three and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the the friendships that, and and the community that exists at Dignity Village? I don't even know where to start. Um, This place, you have 60 people on just less than two acres of land. It gets a little crowded at times. There is some animosity. um, There's some, definitely some arguments, some disagreements. But all in all, I have found probably some of the best, truest friends I've ever found. because once you're homeless and then you end up in a place like this, you are stripped down to nothing. Um, 
you find your true self. Um, and then when you do meet the friends that I've met out here, and my secretary is sitting next to me shaking her head yes, um, it, they are actual true friends. When I became homeless out there, the people I thought were my friends weren't. You know, it's like, well, now you're homeless. Don't come around. In here, we would bend over backwards for each other. If somebody needs anything, the word goes out, and somebody here in the village will get it for them, will find it. Uh, if you're sick, all you have to do is ask, and somebody will go to the store for you. Um, mm-hmm. It's <laughs> We're a dysfunctional family, but we are a family, and there is a lot of true love here. Mm-hmm. So no one wants the homeless in their backyard. I really feel like they put Dignity Village out here, as far as we are from the town, to fail. And we are still surviving, and we are still existing. And that was Lisa Larson, CEO of Dignity Village, and I spoke with Lisa Larson in August of 2013. This is The City here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, and that's CJSF.ca. If you missed any part of the program, you can download it as a podcast at thecityfm.org, and you can catch The City live on CITR Tuesdays at 5 p.m. and syndicated on CJSF Fridays at 10 a.m. And be sure, to the, be sure to follow The City on Twitter with the handle the city underscore FM and on Facebook by searching The City critical urban discussions. Again, you can find this program as a podcast at thecityfm.org. And there's also lots of um, past podcasts um, and and old older programs, um, but lots of uh, great content. You can also check out the 2013 Year in Review. Over three podcasts, we uh, picked apart um, some of the most intriguing discussions um, from 2013. I'm Andy Longhurst, and thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week with more critical urban discussions. Have a great week. Tell